Thank you for tuning in to listen to this sermon from the Ville Church. To find out more about us and our weekly scheduled services, please visit theville.church. So we're starting this whole new series. So we've been talking a lot this year about, um, you know, what it means to know Jesus and what it means to follow Jesus and all this stuff. But this new series, the whole point of it is we want to talk about the essentials of Christianity. So what is the foundation? What's the basis of being a Christian? Because in this room, we actually have a lot of new believers. We have a lot of young believers. Um, and so we, we just want to make sure that we, we go over and talk about like what it means to be a Christian. So this series is actually called Solace, right? And if you're like a normal person, your natural first question is, what the heck does that mean? What is solace? That's not even a word, Jeremy. And you're right, in English, it's not. But if we take a quick gander back 500 years, we'll discover what this word means. Um, so when Jesus was alive in his earth, earthly ministry, he, he lived, he died, he resurrected, and he ascended into heaven. And then he started the church to be his hands and feet here on earth to do the ministry and complete the ministry and take it further that he was doing. And over the course of about 1,500 years, the church slowly began to drift and change over time. Because 1,500 years is a lot of time, right? I mean, has anyone here a vampire and been alive 1,500 years? No vamps in the place? All right. 1,500 years is a lot. I mean, think what just America was like 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 100 years ago. So much changes in that short of time. So think about 1,500 years. So, of course, there weren't like these dr- dramatic changes instantly, but over time it started to shift. And so around 1500, these Catholic monks ignited this movement within the church to return it to its original self. They said, we've gotten off course, and we want to go back to the time of the apostles and the early church fathers and mothers. And so we call this movement 500 years ago the Protestant Reformation. We say Protestant because uh, this describes any group protesting the Roman Catholic belief. So you're, you're, you're protesting um, what they believe, and you're called uh, a reformer. It's the Reformation because you're trying to reform the church from the inside out. So these people are saying, we don't think this is right. We're going to protest the church in order to change the church. So this thing happened. These monks went against other um, bishops and other things, and their hope for reforming the, the whole church, the church at the time, it didn't go well. Because if you ever tried to change something really powerful and big, does it usually go well for the small person? No. It, it usually is very rare for anything to happen. So eventually they were stonewalled, and these Protestants, right, they were forced to separate from Roman Catholicism, and they resulted in starting all these Protestant denominations that we have today. Um, you know, whether it's, I mean, y'all know. I don't even to go into that. So the point is, there were five solas, which are five Latin phrases or slogans that emerged from this Protestant Reformation um, to help summarize their basic stance in contrast, right, to certain teachings of the Roman Catholics of the day. Now, the word sola means alone or only in Latin. And here are the five phrases, and you're going to hear my Latin, which is going to sound terrible. So we have any Latin speakers? Good. All right. So sola scriptura, by scripture alone. Sola fide, by faith alone. Sulis Christus. That was Spanish. Uh, through Christ alone. 
Sola gratia, by grace alone and sola de gloria, glory to God alone. These five statements were the essence of Christianity. Um, And so these are what we're going to go over for the next five weeks. We're going to cover all five of these phrases. Why? That's a good question. Why does this matter? Why does what happened 500 years ago matter to us today in Jacksonville, Florida in 2017? Well, we believe that these five ideas are essential to understanding Christianity. They're essential to understanding Christianity. We also see that while most of us in this room aren't struggling against the Catholic Church specifically, these basic essentials actually expose the current issues that we do face. Because if these are the five essence, uh, like the five things that are essential to our faith from the apostles' time in the early church, then what does that go against today, what we're being told about what Christianity is? So basically, we want to call a spade a spade, and we want to get back to the basics and form this firm foundation for our faith to believe. So today, we're starting off the series with Sola Scriptura by Scripture alone. Now, who in here knows some non-believers? That's a good thing. You should know some non-believers. If all your friends are believers, you need to get some new friends. Um, because we were made to be in the world and not of it, but we were made to have friends and have relationships with non-believers. But if you ask a non-believer, or, you know, even if it's a believer, is the Bible essential to us now? What would they say? I, I mean, I, in my mind, I thought of certain people in my life, and if I asked them that question, I didn't have time this week, because I really wanted to ask and maybe make a video because I thought it'd actually be pretty, pretty funny. Um, but they probably say things like, I don't know, teach their own, I guess. Or it has some good wisdom, maybe, but it's outdated. Uh, it's helpful for kids if you want to raise kids. Or uh, no, as this one person in particular, I could almost quote him verbatim. No, it's a lie and it destroys societies. I'm like, okay. So this is, do you think the Bible is essential? And But the question actually below that is, what is the Bible, right? And if you ask these people, what is the Bible? They could say a collection of ancient stories, Jesus' autobiography, my grandma's favorite book, uh, a book some King James wrote with dies and wince forth, you know, whatever people think. But as Christians, we believe actually that the Bible is God's divinely inspired words for us. The Bible is God. God's divinely inspired words given to us. So it's therefore our authority for our beliefs and our practice, right? So our understanding of God, our understanding of ourselves, and our understanding of our relationship to God is this whole interaction is found most fully in the words that God himself has revealed to us. Does that make sense? I mean, where else would we look for that? If we want to know about this God, we want to know about ourselves, who apparently were created by him, and we want to know our relationship, who else would we listen to but God himself to know what, what it all is? Um, and so God has actually revealed himself in a number of ways, right? So he reveals himself in creation. It says this in the Bible. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. Like, we can see who God is 
in creation, when we actually look at creation, we're not looking at our phone. If you actually look up, you actually can see God. You can see God. And we, I'm, I know all of us will say this. We've seen like amazing sunsets or mountainscapes or whatever. And we're like blown away. They're like, this can't be random. This is too beautiful. Um, we also see God uh, reveal himself in history. So he's revealed himself to humans throughout history in various ways. He spoke through dreams with Joseph, through visions with Daniel, verbally with Abraham, um, physically to the apostles when he showed up physically on earth, um, and so on. He also shows himself in miracles. Uh, when you read in the Bible, like the ten plagues in Egypt were miraculous, insane miracles. What happened at Mount Sinai, um, the resurrection itself, etc. Which leads me to my last point, primarily God actually reveals himself as the, in the person of Jesus Christ, the living word, and in the Bible, the written word. They go hand in hand. The best, most accurate way we can learn about the person and work of Jesus Christ is what we learn from, in the Bible from both the Old and New Testament. So why is the Bible so essential? Scripture is essential to us because it's, because it's the main way we know about God. It is the main way we know about God, like I said, that we know about ourselves and we know about our relationship to one another and to God. Everything else is secondary. They're all secondary sources, quoting from the original source, which is God's own words about it. Scripture is the most fundamental and foundational reference of knowing anything about God. The Bible is this collection of shorter stories Right, that make up a giant story of God revealing himself to us as creator, sustainer, redeemer, restorer, and judge of all creation. It is the answer guide to any worthwhile questions we have about ourselves. If you have any question that's worthwhile and means anything important, the Bible is the answer guide. It reveals the most prominent, important markers in our human history. It shows how we came to be and how we are the way we are and where we're going. And it shows markers of the story along the way that we need to know. It reveals the full range of human emotions. Any type of emotion we could ever feel and know, you can find in the Bible. So why is scripture essential? It's because without it, we're lost. We have no origins. We don't know why we're here. We don't, if you ask any non-believer, if you said, why do you think we're here? They don't have an answer that's at all authoritative. It's just like, uh, uh, maybe, I'm not sure. Um, with, without the Bible, we have no future hope. We don't know where we're going. We just, we're random and probably going to just explode the world with nuclear bombs one day. You know, without it, we have no idea of the attributes of who God is outside of being creator of what we can see around us. And we have no way to judge what's right or wrong. We just make it up. So today, I really hope we understand this. The phrase sola scriptura, that scripture alone is essential to Christians because it declares the sufficiency of scripture as our authority in all matters. About God, about us, about everything. God's word is our guide to all things. Because it's God's word. Like, we say, we say that phrase, you know, we're talking about the Bible, God's word. But these are the words of God. Is that crazy? That God speaks. 
that God's not some distant uh, amoeba, giant amoeba surrounding the universe, that he actually speaks into like existence and speaks creation into existence. And we know his words. So it's extremely important that we hold tightly to this belief um, because everything will tell us otherwise. Everything tells us that scripture is not the authority, that it doesn't, it's not God's words. Do you know what the first recorded words of Satan are? Anybody? The first time Satan ever spoke in the Bible. Do you know what he said? He said this. Did God really say? Did God really say? That introduces Satan into the scene. And the first thing that Satan ever attacked was the trustworthiness and authority of God's words to us, right? Because God spoke authoritatively to our first parents, Adam and Eve, and they were to believe and obey. And then the serpent appeared, and the authority of God's word was his first target. And the enemy has never stopped attacking that target. Because you have to understand, Satan, his sole game is deception. He has no other power over God. All he can do is twist truth. So the only way he wins is when he damages our trust in the authority of God's words. That's it. And so that, that creeping feeling of, did God really say, is this really true? Are you sure? He wants to instill doubt on the authority of God. But here's the good news. So God has graciously provided and protected his revealed word throughout human history and given to them or given them to us now that we have them. We have sufficient answers and guidance to all things that really matter. And we can be assured that all we have or all we need is actually in scripture. Um, anything we need to faithfully live as Christians and make decisions that need to be made, we can find in the holy scriptures because they're God's holy eternal words. So um, do you believe this? Because this is actually the first essential thing of Christianity, a baseline of Christianity. Do you believe that scripture alone is sufficient as our supreme authority over everything? And here's the thing. Most Christians won't deny this, right? None of us in here are going to be like, I'm a Christian and I think the Bible's whack. I think, you know, it's a lie and it's just human words and whatever. Um, because on paper, we embrace and we defend the Bible. No one in here, I think, would be like, throw the Bible out, you know. But here's the rub. So we'll defend it on paper. But the rub is, in practice, many of us deny Scripture alone because we embrace many other things besides Scripture. How do I know this? Well, one, we don't read it. We don't read Scripture. Uh, when Jesus said, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word of, that comes from the mouth of God, he's saying the word of God is our bread, our sustenance, and we should consume it the same way we consume food. Who in here likes to eat? You can put your hand down because everyone likes to eat. We all know. We all love to eat. We all need to eat. But he's comparing food to the word of God. But who's ever heard someone say like, bro, I'm starving for some scripture. <laughs> or, hey, you got any uh, biblical wisdom laying around that I can consume? Or, 
what are you thinking we should read tonight? Philemon? Nah, not really feeling a fast book. Let's chow down on some hearty Hebrews. We don't talk like that, right? We don't talk like that. Because we don't think like that. We don't think God's word is that important. We have a hard time actually reading our Bibles. We're too busy. It's too confusing. I've already read it. And so on. So what I'm saying is you can't say scripture alone is enough to be my ultimate authority on everything and not read it. The non-action actually reveals what you really think is I don't need the Bible. So the point I want to make is scripture is essential. We need it actually to grow. We can't grow without it. And we need, well, we don't need, we will develop a taste for it. Who liked uh, wine the first time they tasted it? Not me. Now, it's delicious. The more you actually eat something you like or drink something you like, you develop a taste for it and you become more alive and active to the intricacies of it, right? So one thing I want to tell you guys is this summer, actually, the Ville is going to introduce a summer reading plan for the whole church to go through the Bible. So the, in Lent, we did a church-wide fast, and we did it together. But this summer, I'm going to develop probably like two to three different reading plans, depending on how much you want to read or how much time you have, because we're not all in the same place. But to actually go and get the main points through Scripture, where we're reading it every day for the summer. It's 90-day reading plan. And you can read the whole Bible in 90 days. I mean, you got to put in work. But you can do it. But for most of us, with jobs and families and extracurricular activities, reading a chapter or two a day, you can actually read the main thread through the Bible and get the big idea of the Bible. So we're going to introduce that in the next few weeks. We're really excited about that because for our church, I think we all need to come together and read the Bible. All right, so how else do we in practice deny that scripture alone? We don't read it. Number two, we don't seek it. We don't seek the Bible. Because of sin, our response to everything is to look inward and in how we feel. Um, when we look, uh, we look towards our hearts and we, we feel, what is right here? When we're deciding, what should I do? What is right? It's not, we're not seeking outwardly, we seek inwardly. And we're thinking, hmm, Jeremy, what do you think the best idea would be? Our default mode is not scripture alone, but it's our heart alone. Now, this is foolish because it's so dangerous. It's so dangerous. Our hearts are not a sober guide because they are drunk on self. Do you understand what I'm saying? Our hearts cannot tell us soberly what's really true because they are wasted on ourself. We love ourselves too much. So, and scripture tells us this. It tells us our hearts are deceitful and they're untrustworthy. But yet, we trust our heart over everything. What do you feel? How do I feel? What should I do? It's all about me. It's not asking God, it's not seeking God, it's just seeking myself. But sola scriptura, the scripture alone, the whole thing stands on what the Bible says about itself that scripture is the light, the eternal reality, the firm foundation. It says that scripture and scripture alone rules our faith and actually determines what's right and what's good because God said so, not me. Because the perfect one said so, not the broken sinful one. 
We don't read it. We don't seek it. And lastly, we don't obey it. Um, We don't believe that Scripture alone is our ultimate authority because we don't obey it. Mark Twain said this. He said, it's not the unclear passages in the Bible that give me such a problem. It's the clear. We don't like being told what to do. Who in here actually likes being told what to do? Nobody, because we're all sinners. But we don't like being told what to do. We don't like having any authority over us. And that's partly our human nature, but partly also our American nature. We are young, we're wild, we're free, we choose what we want, we do what we want, we choose our own adventure. We don't want anyone telling us how to live our life, right? We like to obey the parts of the Bible that we like and that we agree with while disregarding the other parts of the Bible that are hard and that we would probably change. Scripture teaches that we are a people under authority. We don't make the rules. We obey them. That's what Scripture tells us. That we are, a creator has created us to obey him because he is good and loving and faithful. And yet we decide we're going to make our own rules. So the reason we disobey, the reason we don't seek, the reason we don't read is because, one, we either don't know the living God as he truly is, or we don't believe that that living God that we read about and know about is actually how it's proclaimed to be. So we don't know his character, or we don't actually believe it's true. And so, like orphans, we move away from it. On the flip side, there are a few people in here right now who are saying, I read it, I seek it, I obey it. I'm really glad he's uh, talking to everybody else because they need to hear this. Um, Please know this, that there is just as big of a possibility that you are missing the true and living God Because you are devoted to a book but missing the person. So we fall on either side of this. And Jesus is clear with this. He said, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. But these are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So whether you're a a scripture deserter or a do-everything writer, The reason scripture is so essential is because it leads us to Jesus on both sides. So if you don't don't read it, you miss out. You miss out on discovering who who the one true and living God is. You won't know, but it's right in front of us. If you seek out other things as your authority, you miss out. Because you miss out on the eternal truth that God has given us, and you submit yourself to something else in this broken world of deception and lies that's going to lead to to dead ends, to literally ends of death. If you disregard obeying parts you don't like, you miss out. You miss out on the joy of complete surrender, how we were created to do, to the one, the only one who is worthy. And if you just try and do your best to obey it and do everything right, you miss out 
because you miss out on the intimate union and rest with a gracious and loving and forgiving God. You see, I personally, I am guilty of every single one of these. I will go days without reading my Bible. And when I do, I wonder if I'm only doing it because I'm literally paid to. Like that I wouldn't do it unless it was my job. Um, most of the time, my heart seeks anything but scripture. I will do anything but read the Bible because my heart's not longing for it. And I give in to that. I have a, a surrender complex. I hate being weak. So I definitely disregard those parts of the Bible. You know, when I read all this stuff about meekness, humility, weakness, it's like, mm, I don't like that. So I'm going to be tough. I'm going to go do some push-ups. Uh, but this is my problem. And instead of actually believing that I'm a child of God by the blood of Jesus alone, as Scripture says, I try to earn my spot on God's team. I really try and earn my spots on God's team, I want to go first round, y'all. I want to go first round. I want to be the be I want to be the highest pick. And this all came to a head this week. Um, we were at this conference, um, Cedric, Phil, and Jay and I, and it was this huge conference, like five thousand people in Orlando, and all these people were hearing all week, all these people talking about God, and then it just hit me. I need to talk to God. Like, why do I keep listening to other people talking about their experiences with God or hearing people talking about who God is when I can actually talk to God myself? And I, I hadn't read the Bible in a minute, and I, I hadn't sought God for myself in a while. And so I felt, it just felt heavy on my soul, like I wasn't connected to the sustainer of my soul. So I, I just felt distant, and I felt despair. So I snuck away one afternoon during some of the meetings, and it was this weird cemetery thing. I know this is going to sound really weird. Uh, I snuck away. It was this weird cemetery thing with all these bells playing, and I just laid down on the ground, and I was reading. I was just reading Psalms, and it's basically a cry of my heart, just, God. And this one came up. It was like, look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. I'm so convicted by that. I don't seek his face. I, I don't feel like I seek his face enough, let alone always. And I just, whenever I hit rock bottom, that's when I go back to seek him. But he's always there. And my heart was full after spending this time. Uh, you know, it was a few hours. I just spent this time, and I was reading, I was praying, I was writing with God. And it was so full, something happened. The next day, I found myself on the front of the stage at this conference, bawling, crying with this stranger, this older woman praying over me. And like the day before, I was so a shell of myself. I was so distant from God and other people. But then when I actually try to spend time with God through the scriptures and praying and just seeking him, he met me. He met me. And that's the power Scripture has. That, that's how I know Scripture is alive and inspired. Like, I didn't hear one thing this woman said. 
Like she had my chest and my back, and she was shaking me like this. And I'm, I was loving it, but I'm boohoo crying, so I can't hear anything. Like apparently when I cry, my ears block, but I couldn't hear one thing. But I did sense that God gently was reminding me that um, I don't have to earn a spot. That, he, he, that in Jesus Christ, he gladly gives me sonship. That he gladly gives me the status of a child of God. I don't have to earn it anymore. I don't have to keep trying to prove myself to him. And I was reminded through scripture, through seeking his face, through laying myself down before God, that there is power in the scriptures to bring me to the end of myself and then face to face into the presence of God. And that's where we all want to be. Whether you know it or not, that is where we all want to be. If we were created by this amazing, holy God, the only place we want to be is in his presence. Because that's where we're perfectly satisfied. Um, and, you know, I don't, I don't cry much, unfortunately. I wish I did. I think it's a pretty awesome gift, the gift of feeling. Uh, but Thursday... Thursday felt so refreshing. This was Thursday. It was like maybe, you know, noon. It felt so refreshing. And I was like, I was back. I was alive. And I was like, yes. And then I came home Thursday night, and I was literally in less than seven hours right back to trying to figure out what to do in the middle of a storm. It took less than seven hours to go from high to, like, blind looking for something, even though I just had this amazing experience. And... I think the point is that God's trying to remind me and us that, and we need to remind one another, that we have an invaluable treasure that God has left us. Something to cling to, something to cherish, to humbly approach. Because God has preserved his word for us. He's done it. Humans haven't done it. It should have failed. It definitely should have failed. But God in his miraculous ways, has preserved his words over time for us here now, that we have it. Listening to scripture is listening to the alive and active spirit of God. They're not just words. They are God's words. And when God speaks, they're eternal. He doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't say temporary things. He speaks eternally because God is eternal. He can't speak temporary. Reading scripture is an experience. And it's an experience to meet God in his spirit-given words. So we get to meet God in Scripture.